Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday. Uh, it's Wednesday night. I'm trying to catch up. So I'm going to see if I can do the, um, what do you call it, the Haftorah now. Because i got to go to Rochester for Shabbos, so after a, a shorter week. Um, tonight, so we're going to take a look at the Haftorah, which of course is Avadia, where he blasts Ace of an Adam. We'll talk about it in a second. Um, today's sponsor is uh, Gabe Aronson, Gabriel Aronson, who now lives in Pardis Hana. I didn't even know that. One of my students. Now in Pardis Hana. And if you remember last year, Gabe... Who's a numbers cruncher? Uh, did a whole study on Jewish day school enrollment in Maryland and the trends, and particularly the impact of COVID now on the enrollment. He's going to be publishing this soon in January. And I remember we had a talk together as one of the podcasts about the results. Not too many people actually do the numbers on the numbers crunching. Uh, and he will be having some copies that he can provide uh, by January. You know, that's when he gets all the statistics. So, thanks, Gabe, and we're looking forward to that. Is uh, you know, numbers sometimes tell you things that the regular attachment doesn't want to tell you. But let's take a look at um, the Avtar today, which is from Avadia. Whoever that is, I mean, is it the Avadia was the Prime Minister of Achab? Is it another guy? Is it Edema? You know, we'll never know those sorts of things. You have different opinions of Chazal, which means there's a complete lack of clarity on it. <clears throat> all we know is Avadia is the shortest Avtarah. Um, the shortest book in the Tanakh is what I mean to say. Uh, if you're ever studying in one of those, uh, some towns have the Siam Atar Pekovadya. You can do that Siam PDQ. Uh, but here's the problem. Um, it's all about blasting Esau. But what's he referring to? All these Haftarahs, well, not all these Haftarahs, but some Haftarahs are of the nature that you can't tell. It can go one of two ways, and therefore it can go one of two ways. What I mean is it could be referring to some historical event that happened at that time. Alternatively, and I shouldn't say alternatively or equally, it might be referring to some event that has not happened yet and may be possibly associated with the Messianic era and the uh, World War III and Gogo Mogog and all that kind of business. And here's a classic example of that. Uh, as I mentioned before when I did the Parsha, the Torah doesn't exactly say anything, you know, um, that Asa was uh, cut out of the Yerusha or has no right to Israel. Anything. It doesn't treat Esau the same way as, um, you know, it treats, uh, for example, Yishmael, which is interesting. Moreover, it's pretty clear in several places that Esau was granted the land of Seir by God. Okay? Now, I'll go even farther than that. <clears throat> Yaakov and Esau part ways in this week's uh, uh, Parsha, as we know. And then what happens? Let's go by the Chumash. Then what happens? They don't really see each other again. I mean, maybe to bury somebody, else, but they don't really see each other again. The Edomites are in one place, the Jews are in another place. And then the Jews take off for Egypt, where they spend time in, in um, slavery. And then they leave Egypt, and there's a question about whether they should go through the land of Edom, and the Edomites say no, and God says, listen to them. Al-Tizkar ba Shine. So there were no clashes after the encounter of Yaakov and Esau. 
In fact, I'll say farther. There were no clashes in Tommy Yaakov Esav either. That's the point of Parshav Yishach. It doesn't turn into a fight. Um, however you interpret it. Now, um, then you don't hear it from each other. Uh, you know where Adam is, like the Negev. That's far away from the Jews. Hundreds of years go by and garnish. And even when they get to the land of Israel, as far as I remember, there's no clashes between Edom and the Jews. You have Joshua fighting the Canaanites. True. And the book of Shoftim, you have all kind of invasions. I think none from Edom. I remember Sisera, the Canaanite. I remember the Moabites, that's, uh, you know, with the left-handed guy, Ehud. The Philistines, of course, and Samson. Amun against uh, Yiftach. Uh, Midian against uh, uh, Gideon. And, you know, and so forth. Maybe I'm forgetting one. Not Edom. So for hundreds of years, the period of Shoftim, if you go, you know, by what we, what we see, at least best of memory, um, I don't think there were any clashes between the Jews and the Edomites. There were no Edomites invasions of Israel. Uh, then um, comes Shmuel Aleph. I don't think there are any clashes with the Edomites. Maybe it says something about King Saul fighting on the borders or something like that. It's very brief. And maybe doesn't maybe does mention Edom, maybe doesn't. You see what I'm saying? Hundreds of years go by where A doesn't bother B and B doesn't bother A. It's sort of like the relationship is based between uh, Israel, I don't know, and Libya or something like that. They, they haven't fought, you know. At least I don't think so. They don't like each other. They don't like each other. I don't think they fought. So uh, then you come to Shmuel Beis. And then you have the Great War, the coalition that I've discussed several times. And David, skipping all the details, is involved in a major war against at least two enemies. Ammon plus the Arameans, Aram, which is a large confederacy of nations, and therefore he's got his hands full. And in the middle of all this, and and it, and it may be that the, that the Arameans broke into Israel and killed a lot of people. It's not clear. And in the middle of all this, Edom strikes the Jews. So this, which is a, a treachery, um, is exactly Roosevelt's famous speech when uh, Mussolini attacked uh, France in 1940. The French were already being overrun. And then Mussolini attacked France because he knew they were losing to the Germans. There's a famous speech that Roosevelt gives in the University of Virginia. The hand that held the dagger struck it into the back of its neighbor. As much what Edom did, you know, the Jews wore the robes. Look at Psalm number 60. You know, again, we're getting our brains crushed in. You know, David and is complaining. And then Edom attacks and killed a lot of people. And depending how you read Capitolian Test Psalm 79, Edom may have penetrated Jerusalem and massacred people. Could be. And then David. So all of a sudden, this ancient hatred is revived. You see what I'm saying? There weren't any tensions between Yaakov Avinu himself and Esau. That was hundreds of years ago. But it was there the whole time. And all it took, it seems was for Edom to wait wait till the Jews are down. Right? Wait till they're down. I want to point out, David became the king. He was a powerful guy. He wiped out Moab, so he obviously had something against Moab. He busted the Plishtim because they were always attacked. They attacked him. 
Um, he captured the city of Jerusalem. And then he said, I have peace and quiet. Shifty, Bebeis Hashem, So David was in his 30s when he did what I just described. He lived to be 70. So for 35 years or something like that, or less, I mean, 20-some years, there was like peace until this war, the coalition broke out. What I'm pointing out is, David did not undertake during this time when he had a powerful army. See, let's go have some fun and wipe out Edom or add them to my kingdom. Yoav is the son of an Edomite, which is interesting. The, I mean, a Gare, I suppose. The mother was the was sister of King David. But Yoav didn't go after Edom. But now they do. Because like I said before, it's like the United States being attacked by Canada when we're down and out. You know, we never bothered you. We always had anger for us for the War of 1812. And now it's coming 200 years later, 300 years later, you know, to plunge the dagger in when, he, when the going looks good. This got David really, how shall I put this in nice language, really uh, angry. And when he defeats the uh, the en other enemies, he sends Joab with the army and they exterminate Edo. So in other words, it's not even a regular war. It's a war of extermination in the sixth chapter of the first book of Kings. So as a hardball, it's a hardball. By the way, sending Yoav, who's the son of an enemy, to wipe out Edom, is someone similar to the way Chazal described Ovad Yo, the author of our Haftarah today, who's an Edomite. At least there's some tradition that he's an Edomite. Doesn't say so. And that he would be pronouncing their doom. I think the expression of the Gemara is, in order to chop down a tree, you have to make a, an axe with a handle of wood. So you're using the wood to chop down the other wood. I, I believe that's the muscle. So, um, is this interesting? No? So, what happens after that? Then you find this kind of enmity between Edom on the one hand and, and, and the Jews on the other. It's kind of strange. When David was alive, nobody said boo. The whole country was wiped out. I don't know if it means every single male, but that's what it says. It's called Zohar. A few escaped to Egypt, and they come back and lead the rebellion you know, under Shlomo. I don't know how the heck you can make a rebellion if it's literally true that everybody was killed. Sounds like most people were killed somewhere. And because Hashem was angry at Shlomo, so the animates are able to recover their independence. If you then take the trouble to look through the book of of Melachim um, and Divrayam, as I recall, by memory, so you'll find, from time to time, strange relations. For example, when um, you may, you may recur, you may uh, remember that um, Mesha Melch Moav. I remember this. There's a coalition of two Jewish kings and the Edomites against Moab. Isn't that interesting? Two Jewish kings and the Edomites against the uh, uh, Moab. So there, the Melech Edom is an ally of the king of Yehuda and king of uh, Israel against a fellow guide. Um, and depending on how you read the Mesha story, you know, it says he shechted his son and the armies ran away. Some say he shechted the son of the king of Edom. King of Edom got angry at the Jews didn't help him and he abandoned them in the field and therefore the Jews lost the war. In other words, it's a highly complex set of relationships. Uh, if Ovadia is talking the prime minister of Achov, so what's he screaming at Edom about? His time, 
and was, if anything, an ally of the Jews. The story I just told you takes place during the reign of the son of Ahab, who I think was Yehoram. Okay? You know, there's 20 kings in the north and 20 kings in the south. So, Yehoram allied with Yoshavid, was it? Against uh, Moab. So, why would you have a whole prophecy predicting the destruction of Asaph at that time? You know? So you have to start tiny. Well, you live much longer times. I don't know. And if you look later on, I remember the Horam, the king of Yehuda, if I remember correctly, he was wicked. He attacked Edom, but they defeated him in a night attack or something like that. And then you find from time to time the kings of the south, the kings of Yehuda, having these wars with Edom. And the Jews are pretty doggone vicious. I'll repeat, the Jews are vicious. I remember Ahaziah, the son of Yoash, captured 10 or 1,000, 100,000, and they pushed them off a cliff. No, he murdered the prisoners, which happens in war. Uh, I just read an article for something for college in a regular history journal where a guy was describing, I think it was called, it makes me shudder to think about this, and he did his homework and research in the Napoleonic Wars, where we usually think of them as set-piece battles which don't involve civilian atrocities. Huh. You should read all the memoirs of the soldiers that participated in this. They took civilians, they roasted them, they toasted them, literally. And the rape, and the this, and the that, and the other. The char char charging people, cutting up people, repositioning re re parts of their body. I won't go into details. You know, when they fought in Spain, it, it was a savagery. You get it? It's a savagery. And so, what I mean is, when you get in a war, especially if battle gets hot, you just lose all humanity. And Achazia pushed all the POWs off a cliff, and the Gemara criticized him for that, for war crime. So in other words, there's no balance in relation between the Jews and, and Edom. They're cruel to us, and we're cruel to them. Okay? And of course, this comes at culmination, I suppose, when they participate with Nebuchadnezzar and burning on the base of Meish, and what do they say? Aru, aru, adi, yisodbo. Now, i got to tell you the truth. If I was descended from one of the people wiped out by Yoav, and the Jews or my relative was pushed off a cliff by the cruel Jewish king of Yehuda, I too would say, Aru, aru, adi, yisodbo. You know, we're so angry. Oh, you you bashed our heads in this, that, and the other. I mean, <laughs> the Jews were pretty bad to them also. You see? So, it's a typical Middle Eastern situation. I'm not exactly 100% sure where Avadi is going with all this. Now, it, it's pretty clear from reading the Haftorah that Avadia is either witnessing or prophesying the downfall of Edom not by the Jews, but by its allies. Okay? If you if you, if you say over here, you know, he says, I'll make you uh, You are very arrogant. Pride of your heart deceived you because you dwell high in the in, in the rocks. You know, you go to Petra today, you go across the Jordan, you see the capital of Edom, you know, they were high up. Okay? And he goes on to say that your allies, let's put it this way, deceived you. You understand? Deceived you. You're fooled by your so-called friends. That's what, and, and your uh, CIA failed. Your, your, your FBI failed. It says over here, in Ganavim Bo Lachem Shodilayla, it's like it's like thieves came to you in the middle of the night. I mean, 
Let's put it this way. That's what you're like. Um, it, they would leave something over. The enemy who attacked you would leave nothing. Has left nothing over. Have you been pillaged? All your your hidden treasures have been found out. So, in other words, somebody came and really busted at him, but it wasn't the Jews. Okay. As a matter of fact, he says over here, you were deceived. Your allies, right, enticed you. I would. This is how I translate it. Not so. Would translate. Your allies invited you to come to a border, lured you, enticed you to come to the border. The people your allies then were at peace with you, cheated you and deceived you. In other words, they 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 um, enticed you. And then they defeated you. Those eating your bread, those your own mercenaries and your allies. What did they do? They set a trap for you without your sensing it. So what is he describing? This is not a Jewish attack. It's like me talking and saying, oh, Germany got into a war with a next door neighbor and boy, they wiped out Germany. I'm angry at them because of the Holocaust, but it, it's not something Israel did. You know what I'm saying? It's the allies that did it. The so-called allies. Um, and it seems like there was a big intrigue because Ochli Lachmecha means you're mercenaries. So, I'm the king of Edo. I'm just going to make this up. I have um, Moabite mercenaries, for example, and Moab summons me to fight alongside Moab in some campaign in the border, and then Moab turns around and attacks me, and the mercenaries of my own army is all part of a big plot, join up with their fellow countrymen and wipe me out. So, Asaph is going to go down as, as a result of a treachery, and the Jews will not be the ones to do it. And I guess to the Navi, that means, you know, God did it. Your, your, uh, your powerful men will be slaughtered, uh, every man from Arisa will be cut off by slaughter. So notice there'll be a big, it's like one of these movies, you know, where they do a big act of treachery. They poison everybody. They stab everybody in the back. It's a, it's a complete surprise. So Asa is going to go down as a big surprise. Now, you know, okay, that's interesting. Why is this in the Torah? Like, what do I care? And he says, well, because... I, the prophet Ovadia, interpret the downfall of Asa at the hands of treachery and the extermination as, as a punishment what you did to Yaakov. It's cause of your violence against Yaakov that you're now being cut off forever. You see? So Ovadia's a Jew. I repeat, he's not participating in this. He's a Novi looking from afar. And he sees the destruction of a, of a country. It's a country that the Jews have had something to do with. I'll say more than that. It's a country of the Jewish cousins, if you want to look at it that way. And uh, nevertheless, you know, they got wiped out. And he said, I, I, I do this because of what you did to Yaakov. Now, it's funny. Esav didn't do anything to Yaakov. <laughs> See? Right? Unless you say, and this is really going tough, that since Esav plotted to kill Yaakov, he said, Yikur me, you may Avalovi, but I go as Yaakov Achi. He was so angry that Yaakov took the blessing from him that he said, I can't wait. When my father's going, I'll kill my brother. But he never did. Okay? 
So you're going to get all from the Mitzvah. Gets, oh, but you know, and all that. Okay, but you know. And it goes on to say over here, right, that this is going to happen to you because you participate in the attack on Jerusalem. So this is already now we're in the realm of prophecy. Because when whoever Avadi is, I think he's in the bias region period. And if you're talking about uh, the Edomites joining the enemy and attacking Jerusalem, that's at the end, that's Nebuchadnezzar's time. And the day he stood aloof as strangers carried off his wealth. Meaning, he's referring to Yaakov over here. There was a time, Shavos Zorim Chelo, when enemies took Yaakov's wealth. I suppose. They enter the gates and capture Jerusalem. I mean, when is that, if not the time of Yushalayim? Of Nebuchadnezzar? Of Tishabab? You were there also. So it sounds like I know who Esav is, and I blame them what they're going to do. Unless you want to be a Bible critic and tell me the book of Avadi is written in the second time of period, a backdate or something like that. It would be a from thing. So then, Avadi is in Bayesham. You know, I don't really say he has to be exactly the Prime Minister Rachel. Two guys can have the same name. But, you know, things going to be a little bit later. Right? It's going to be a little bit later. What's he talking about? So to sort this out historically, identify what's going on, in my opinion, is very difficult. Right? It's very difficult. Which is why, um, you know, uh, it goes on to say, what will happen to you is what you did to the Jews. But this is part of how the, they participated in the Nebuchadnezzar army. I'll army don't enter my people in the time of their destruction. And uh don't station Edomite guards to cut off the Jews trying to escape from the destruction of Jerusalem. Don't force back the survivors back into the hands of the Babylonians in the time of the of the of I mean, you know, it, it, it seems to be like somebody's talking about after Corbin. As, as it sounds like. So you say, well, it's a new voice. It's a foretelling. Okay. All right, but it's nevertheless pretty strange. Now, on the other hand, if you transpose this whole story to some future World War Three business, Mashiach time, then it becomes highly suggestive. I believe that that's how Jews usually took it. Like, they weren't interested in some little detail of what happened to Edom in some forgotten area back in Chavesos, you know, or, you know, in the 500s BCE period, um, which is probably when this happened. But rather, what's going to be in Muslim Mashiach? That's a different story, okay? And there we see the Edom, the Aesop, transposed to histor- historical, historiosophic significance, which Aesop represent, is you know, the whole civilization against the Jews. It's, it's the Ace of, of Edom, of Rome, of the West, possibly of Christendom, I don't know. You know, something like that. And then you see that Chorban coming. Oh, that's going to be... That Chorban is going to be part of Mashiach's site. In other words, there'll be wars, according to most predictions. The wars will involve Edom, according to most predictions. There's even a story of Mashiach ben Yosef who fights and gets killed by Edom, by Armilius. You know, the leader of Edom, as part of the Gaonic uh, lore. And by the time it's all over, you know, Edom has to go down. And 
the destruction of Adam is sort of like almost identical destruction of evil. And then we talk ahead of all the Moshe Marks and the Shabbos Right, that's the end. That the Moshiach will be in Har Tzion, which means that the final punishment will come on uh, the saviors will send Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. That the the final part will will involve the conquest and I guess the destruction of Har Esau. I mean, you know, uh, that's weird. Okay. Uh, I mean, again, he says that the Jews will be like fire and Ace will be like straw. And no one will survive. Uh, no one will survive. I repeat again. And the Negev will take over Hariso. So whoever the Negev is, I suppose the Jewish tribes in the south, whatever, that's probably what it means. They'll take over Hariso. So the fall of Hariso is sort of identical with the fall of, this, uh, of the enemies of the Jews. Maybe they're conflating on Moloch, but I don't know. It's, the reason I say I don't know, it's not a clear. You get it? You can try to work out some mahal here and there, but the language I find very oracular, like the oracle predicting for the future. But this is the Esau we see in the larger sense. What I mean by that is, the four Goloses. There's uh, Bavel and Persia and Greece and Esau. Golosedom. So we saw in the Golosedom, it's not necessarily the kingdom of Edom so much with which the prophecy is concerned or the Jewish interpreters are concerned. Heck with them. You know, maybe it was significant long ago, but who cares about the kingdom of Esau, you know, which obviously went down the tubes 2,500 years ago, 2,400 years ago, whatever it is. I mean, we don't have nothing about Moab that way. You know, like, who cares? Who cares? Whatever happened to Midian? Who cares? This is obviously of mega significance. That's why it's in the Nav Torah. And it even has description, which again is very oracular. And so forth. Fascinating pussy. This is something you can sink your teeth to into the Shabbos. If you go to Shul and you pull out a Tanakh with the Mepharshim, at the very end of the Nav Torah, it says, V'gol Sachil said. Which means, I mean, it's not easily translated. Uh, hold on for a second. Yeah, I'm looking on the computer for good English translation. This would make sense. Here's a good one of many. The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan, right? Will possess the land as far as Sarfas. And the exiles from Jerusalem and Sephardic will possess towns in Negev. Now Rashi Taka learns, you know, even though at the time of Ovadia, there was no France or Spain, <laughs> excuse me, we just called Sarfas later on. Jews called it that. It's like Ashkenaz and things. That's not the actual name. Uh, but Rashi would disagree with what I just said. And he would say like this, um, the Gaulists, the company of Israelite exiles are in Canaan. So the Ashkenaz Jews in France will possess the land as far as Tzarfas. Isn't that funny? And those from Jerusalem and Sephardim will possess the towns in the Negev. So you see, the Jews are coming back and reconquering Israel, and that's part of the vision of Avadia at the end with Esau going down. I mean, are you telling me it's, it's the Palestinians? I mean, you know, I don't know. It's it's very weird. Let me see the Mikra Skidoles over here. Uh he says, 
the goal of Samo Hodin to Benisro to Barakanay at Sarfas. So how do you what, what 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 does that mean? Okay? So Rashi wants to suggest it's a little strange. Golas Hashum in Israel should go me Aseris Hashwatim Larit's Kananim at Sarfas. So somehow he says it's the ten the ten lost tribes. Isn't that interesting? And they right um they were exiled somehow or other to Tsarfas. Uh, the Hebrew is very inexact. It's, it's, it, I find it very difficult to get a good translation of Hebrew without just roughing out, uh, smoothing out rough edges. Um, it's a little weird. Uh, the Radak says, Golis Hachil Azem Israel, Shem Ben Israel. Asher Kananim, Asher Golum, Behemim Kananim, and Sarfas. So that would be reference to the Ashkenazic Jews, the Jews of Europe. Because of his Fardios, it's on Negev. So what does it mean? The Fardim will take over the Negev. They will lead the charge and, and take over the Negev, assuming that the, air, the, the Negev is the area that belongs to Azov. Um, because the Negev is not really part of Israel, correct? The Negev Desert was added to the state of Israel. Not part of ancient Israel. Well, in the vision of Avadia, the Negev will be part of Israel. Okay? Which which is just interesting. Um, so you end up, as I said before, with, with what seems to be uh, one of these long-term visionary pro, uh, uh, prophecies about something that you and I call the Golos Edom, which is Omok Omok, as they say. It's like Tehung. It's very deep and very obscure. Every time we try to figure out what exactly is the goal of Zedim, it kind of changes on us. I know what the goal of Greece was, and of Persia, and of Bubble. I mean, they had specific times and places. It has been around for a couple thousand years now. At the time of the Gemara, they were, they were convinced Edom was identical with the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire went down the tubes, that should be the end of the goal of Zedim. But it's not so. And the Roman Empire, in some or other, reemerged. I don't know exactly how you explain it, you know, as a, as Europe or Christianity or Western civilization. But right now, example, they're not bothering the Jews. Not really. The problem comes from others. And yet, there seems to be some real bitterness against this side of Edom, Mechamas Yaakov Achicha. I mean, there's no question that there's been a certain amount of violence by Esau, by Europe, against uh, Yaakov Achicha. But it's also the other way around also. So, Avadya raises the question, as I said before, of the, of the, what's the right word? The idea of Esau, not just the person of Esau, uh, you know, the, the concept of Esau. And then, he's basically saying, the Gauls ain't going to be over until it's over. We know this. We say there are four exiles. Last one is, is uh, Esau. If that's so, then, in other words, in a chanami, all emotion by Arsene Lush put us Harisav, Boise Hashem Lucha. There ain't going to be no no end until you know, Esav, the Gulf of Esav is over. The Gulf of Esav is over doesn't sound like Esav is just going to hug and kiss Yaakov and say, I'm sorry. Sounds like there's going to be some kind of Horbin involved over here. And um, when you put it in those terms, so uh, it's interesting. I just remember, you know, since Hanukkah is coming up, and I don't want to speak too long. Since Hanukkah is coming up, I happened to pull out the morale the other day. I have to speak about it a little bit in Rochester. 
The Moral is a famous book called Ner Mitzvah. He talks about what he considers the significant historiosophic aspects of Hanukkah. And in his famous interpretation, the four exiles are like against the Jews, they're against God, and so forth. And I just happened to see tonight, I was in Shul, where he says, Abel Arba Malchus Mavatan the Moral says, that these four kingdoms, including Esau, let's say, for example, by destroying the Jewish state and taking away the Memshal from Kla Yisrael, and the Jewish state is itself a testimony to the oneness of God. But so when the last one is over, notice the Haftar we have today, the end of the Haftar deals with the end of the last Golis. See how he's interpreting it? Kasher Tachs Ramach Yisrael, because this is Vayisham Lamucha, this is why Hashem, all the Moshe Maharaj, the Moshe Maharaj, the Moshe Maharaj, and then Vayomu Yashem Echad Shemachad. So the downfall of the last Golas of Esau is going to be identical to the rise of Hashem Echad Shemachad in the Messianic era. That is taking the story really pretty far from the encounter of Yaakov and Esau, the two guys that we have in the in the Parsha and the Chumash, to the encounter between the spirit of Klai Yisrael on the one hand and the spirit of Ace of it, it manifests itself down the centuries and assumes different guises. Um, that seems to be of a, of a different story. It reminds you a little bit about the battle between Yaakov and the Sar Shalesa. So you can't help it, but the Torah is built around these ideas of separating between the physical and the metaphysical. It's, um, it's one of the more difficult uh, passages in the Tanakh, in my opinion. Once again, I want to thank Gabe Aronson. I look forward to his upcoming uh, survey which will be published i'm sure it'll be online and i wish everybody a good week for sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com